Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Womb with a View podcast, powered by Campaign Life Coalition Youth, where we chat about all things pro-life in Canada. back it's been a long time since we've um recorded our last womb with a view podcast episode mm-hmm. so really happy to be back um so today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit controversial especially in the pro-life community it's something that's deeply emotional that tons of people have personal experiences with um, and that is ivf in vitro fertilization so that's what we're going to be chatting about today Um, And so, Kim, I think you have a special announcement. Yes. So later in this episode, you'll hear an interview that Maeve and I did with Laura Clausen, the leader of Choice for Two last week, about her new episode from the Exposed series, Build a Baby. Yeah. So stick around for that at the end of the episode. Um, But we have tons to chat about today. I know there's a lot in the media right now um, discussing this very contentious issue, but I kind of want to quickly touch on something that happened probably more than 20 years ago. So in Mm -hmm. 1997, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. Um, It's the IVF story of Octomom. So she was a woman named Nadia Sulman, um, and she actually underwent IVF and transferred five different embryos into her uterus um, and actually ended up with octuplets, which is eight um, children developing in her womb, which resulted from embryo twinning that occurs all the time Mm -hmm. with IVF. Um, That's just something that happens during the process. And so typically there's two options in these cases. So either the mother will undergo something that's called selective reduction, which is a process in which one of the embryos is selectively killed, um, typically one out of the twin pair, or if there's more than two, potentially more than that, if if a woman only wants to have one child. or all of them are permitted to develop, which has the ability to impose health risks on that child because um, of things like premature birth or stunted development because of the number of embryos or children Mm -hmm. developing in her womb. So I think this was sort of the first time that IVF was sort of um, sensationalized, really appeared a ton in the media because of this strange scenario, you know, a woman giving birth to eight babies mm-hmm. um at once like that's just crazy to think about um so not only is this the first time we're hearing about ivf in the media very prevalent prevalently but also the first time we're hearing about um selective reduction mm-hmm. and what that looks like so i think something that we need to consider is not only the ethicality of ivf but also what happens after the ivf process is complete right. so I don't know if you have any thoughts on this yeah. specific issue like the thought of selective reduction is just such a foreign concept to me because women that are undergoing IVF like they're paying thousands of dollars to have a baby like they're desperate to have a child and then when they twin they have more than one baby wouldn't you think like oh like more bundles of joy I'm getting more children for this process instead of being like no I only wanted one child so I'm gonna kill another one it's just it's just so weird to me that these women are going through such lengths to have children and then selectively killing some of those children yeah and i think that's what's really interesting about 
IVF is it is a, a really selective process. You know, it's oftentimes sort of portrayed as this like last ditch resort for women who are experiencing infertility or challenges with childbearing. Um, and it's not just, you know, accepting life with open arms through this process, mm-hmm. but instead it's a very selective process, you know, choosing um, between embryos, you know, based mm-hmm. on their traits um, that are, you know, laid out in their DNA. So like their hair color, their eye color, you know, if you want a boy or a girl. Right. Um, and so it's more of this like shopping experience, like trying to shop for your ideal child, yeah. which is pretty messed up, pretty disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um And so I think oftentimes, you know, that's where this sort of scenario gets brought in as well. The idea of like the value of human life in terms of, you know, whether or not it's ethical to even pursue IVF um, and being allowed to do those things, being Mm -hmm. allowed to be selective in your like reproduction um, and how that compares to the lives of preborn children versus born children. Um, so that sort of brings us to an interesting argument, mm-hmm. which is typically referred to as the um, burning fertility argument, fertility clinic argument. So I'm kind of going to run through the argument and then we can kind of chat about it. But here's sort of how the argument works. So you come across a fertility clinic that's burning down, you peer through the window, and you see that situation at a glance. Lying on the floor, there's a newborn baby and a canister of five frozen human embryos that are a few days old, and you don't have time to rescue both of them. You have to choose between rescuing the newborn and rescuing the embryos. So we hear this a lot. It's sort of the idea that somehow embryos are just like the concept of a of a human being they're Mm -hmm. sort of like the blueprint of a human being where you can identify all of its traits all of um the demarcations of its dna but it's not like a real person and so if pro-lifers if we really cared about preborn children we would value the lives of these embryos over the lives of the preborn so do you have any insights into this argument anything that you think is interesting or ways to respond like for example if i was a newborn mom if i just had a baby and i had the opportunity to save my baby versus five children i think the more ethical thing to do would be to save the five children but obviously my emotional attachment is going to be to my baby so what i decide to do who i decide to save doesn't mean that that was like more ethical than someone choosing to save more lives like those five lives over the unborn versus the born life so I just don't think it's a fair argument because we do value life from conception we do value embryos but what I what someone might be more emotionally drawn to doesn't mean that that is the more ethical solution to take right yeah and so I think it's important to make that distinction that both are human like Mm -hmm. both the embryos who are in the canister and the newborn baby they're both human um and that's sort of the advantage that older preborn children have in the pro-life movement is that they look more like you or I. They look more like a newborn baby. So they have that advantage of eliciting this emotional response from us, which mm-hmm. is why a lot of pro-choice people have, you know, are less reserved in being able to state that 
you know, late-term abortions are, are wrong because right. those babies look more human. Mm-hmm. They look more like newer babies, whereas embryos in a canister don't. Right. They don't have that advantage. So, But something I liked that I heard from 40 Days recently was that we don't get our value like mutual funds. Like, we don't get our... We don't... Our value doesn't grow over time. We are valuable from conception. And that's when life begins is at conception so these embryos in freezers at ivf clinics those are human beings that are being left in freezers Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and yeah so all of the all of our our value and what makes us important is determined at the moment of conception even in that embryonic stage and so that value doesn't change or doesn't grow as we grow but we just become more actualized we become more you know we develop into the, you know, mature human beings that we are destined to develop into. So I do think that that burning IVF clinic scenario is a little bit silly. It doesn't really mm-hmm. hold up um, because, like you mentioned, we do have stronger obligations to those who we who are under our care. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you replace the newborn baby with, say, your sister. Obviously, yeah. you're going to have a stronger inclination to save your sister because you, you know her personally. You have a relationship with her. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that the embryos are not valuable. So I think that argument um, is just trying to pit two human beings against each other. Mm-hmm. They're trying to sort of get pro-lifers in a gotcha moment. Like, yeah. oh, if you're going to choose the newborn baby over the five embryos, then you must not actually believe that the embryos are human. Yeah. But that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first IVF baby was only born in 1978. Like IVF is still wow. relatively new to this world, but NAPRO technology has only been around for about 30 years. So for those of you that don't know, NAPRO technology means natural procreative technology. It is a medical approach to reproductive and gynecological health that focuses on identifying and addressing the underlying causes of, of infertility. So it's a natural way to deal with infertility that doesn't result in destruction of innocent human beings and i i'm so curious how often doctors when a woman is faced with infertility are bringing up napro technology because whereas ivf you get you have to pay several thousands of dollars it's a lot of different treatments it is very hard on the body which is napro technology gets to the root problem of why are you infertile why are you having difficulty conceiving a child so i'm it's just Mm-hmm. I wish more women knew what options were available to them instead of just listening to what the first doctor tells them to do. Yeah, yeah. And as we're seeing a growing number of women experiencing and struggling with these various health conditions, I think like there's also a growing movement of um, doctors who are utilizing these conditions um, and infertility as a means of, you know, making money. So we're even mm-hmm. seeing like birth control being prescribed as like a band-aid solution for all yeah. these issues. Um, it, like that's super mainstream. And so we're also seeing the same thing with um, with IVF as well, because instead of it being this last ditch resort, it becomes, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you're infertile or you're struggling with various like, um, you know, reproductive issues as yeah. a woman. So you can just, you know, pay thousands of dollars and you can actually have children um, without actually addressing the reasons behind your infertility. So, yeah. And so many women are that are like in their late 30s, early 40s, they're saying like, oh, it's okay to put your your 
family planning on pause. Focus on your career because now you can freeze your eggs or freeze your embryos and then decide to have children later. So some mm. women are being told, like, don't even try conceiving naturally. Just go straight to IVF if you're above 40, I think. So it's just, it's just crazy that women are being told to prioritize their careers and having children and the, realizing the heartbreak when they're unable to have children because mm-hmm. they didn't survive the thawing process. It's just millions and millions of children have died through the process of IVF because they either are destroyed, their moms don't want them anymore, or they don't survive the thawing process and are never able to implant. Um, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know how many embryos are created when a person decides to undergo IVF, but I've heard stories of women creating 40 embryos and then having a successful child from their IVF treatments, but then coming to the realization, like, what am I supposed to do with these biological children of mine in freezers? So they're just paying the annual fees to keep their children in freezers because they don't want 40 children, but they can't come to the conclusion that they should destroy them because they acknowledge that it is their biological child. So it's just women aren't being told about these dilemmas that they'll have to face Mm -hmm. throughout the IVF process. Yeah. It is, it's super dystopian, I think, a lot of these, a lot of these things, like, no longer are we as human beings in charge of our reproduction, it's now being passed over to science, um, and God is no longer the creator of life, we're Mm -hmm. sort of taking it into our own hands, Mm -hmm. um, and so we're met with these ethical dilemmas where it's like, you know, children are, are, being stored in freezers as a byproduct of our desire to be parents and sometimes that's just not meant to be or you're not aware of the resources that are available to you so it is really heartbreaking but yeah that's that's crazy so we're going to turn the time over to our interview with laura clausen so you can hear what she has to say on the topic as you know we're joined this evening with laura clausen the director of choice for two I'm sure many of you would recognize her from her famous satirical pro-life video series that's titled Just Saying. Um, So Laura, once again, it is so wonderful to have you join us for this important discussion on the issue of in vitro fertilization or IVF and its proponents. Um, So my first question for you tonight is, what motivated you to create this exposed series? Um, And more specifically, the latest episode that tackles the issue of IVF. Right. Well, the whole series um, kind of comes out of trying to reach people, right? So um, we've moved into making these animations and they've been very successful in engaging with people on different topics. Uh, so that's kind of where the whole series came. And then uh, the, yeah, the episode on Exposed, I realized that even within the anti-abortion movement, you know, people didn't really understand what IVF was. Um, People were pro-IVF because they thought IVF was pro-life. So I thought we really need to um, get some awareness about what IVF actually is. Thank you so much. Um, There still exists somewhat of a stigma around abortion. However, IVF has become so normalized, especially when entangled with the heartbreak of infertility that seems to also be on the rise. I often hear ads on the radio promoting the practice. What exactly can we do to expose the evil of IVF? Right. Well, first of all, understand what it is. And 
of course, um, infertility is, it is heartbreaking. It's awful. Um, and it's, it's very sad. And I'm very sad with people who are suffering from infertility. Um, but IVF has been presented like this magical fix all solution. Um, and it's not because it kills far, far, far more human beings than it creates. Um, so people need to educate themselves. Um, the goal of this episode of Exposed was just to um, kind of bring IVF to the forefront so that hopefully then people would go on and look into it more. Because once you do that, if you call yourself anti-abortion or if you call yourself pro-life, you cannot support IVF because it kills human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely sort of a disconnect between, um, you know, the heartbreak of infertility and also, you know, the evil of IVF, sort of downplaying it in order to, um, you know, put it up on a pedestal, perceive it as like a social good, you know, you're responding to this heartbreaking issue of infertility. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's so true. Um, and also culturally, we're sort of seeing an uptick in the commodification of women's bodies through various mediums. So things like, you know, prostitution, pornography, surrogacy, and then now, you know, IVF. Um, and I also think that a central criticism that we receive as a pro-life movement, I mean, you've addressed this in one of your videos um, previously, um, is it's sort of been fabricated through the lens of Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, which sort of frames our desire to end dehumanizing practices as something that's, you know, restricting bodily autonomy, bodily rights, um, and also just personal freedom. But what I think is interesting is, or what I at least find very dystopian is the shift that we're seeing towards utilizing women's bodies as a means of, you know, becoming like gods, becoming authors of life. Um, and sort of sterilizing the the creation of human life um, and taking it away from the context of marital union. So I'm wondering um, what your take is on this about, you know, the direction we're heading in terms of sort of these like transhumanist um, perspectives or ideas um, and also sterilizing the creation of human life. Like what are your thoughts on the direction we're heading? Right. Well, yeah, it is interesting with IVF because it uses people all along the way, right? <laughs> like from the from the start, right when you're gonna, okay, get your sperm and the normal usual practice, the way that that's usually done is in a room full of pornography. And you know, if you know anything about pornography and sex trafficking and all of that, those women um, in a lot of cases are not um, treated very well. And so it, like, this is how IVF starts. It starts there. And then you go along and even with um, egg donation, um, a lot I'm finding out, um, a lot of the egg donors are in other countries and they're paid money so that they can get their eggs taken out. And they don't understand like the physical and the medical effects that that's gonna have on people because this is all new to us, right? They are coming out with studies showing that it's actually really bad to donate your eggs. It does terrible things to your own body, which makes sense. Um, and then for the person who's going to um, be carrying the child, whether that is the mother or whether, once again, somebody in some way is being paid to be a surrogate, right? And that's actually not good for <laughs> her body either. Um, all the hormones um, that need to go into her before she's ready to do that. 
And like, as we know, birth is no piece of cake, right? Like this is, this is a hard thing to do. Um, so just using people and then like, that doesn't even touch using the human beings where like the desires and the wants of adults seems to trump the human rights of all these tiny human beings who are killed at almost every step along the way. Like it's unbelievable. Um, and so essentially parents are sacrificing many of their own children for one child, right? Or maybe two if they have twins. Um, so it's this really weird, yeah, it's, and so much money involved and the uh, fertility business is, it's booming. Like it is, um, I think from what we've, what we found, it, there's way more money involved than there is with the abortion industry. Yeah. So even amongst pro-lifers, the topic of IVF is still so sensitive. I'm wondering what has been the overall response to this episode? And I saw that you mentioned that you had some people stop subscribing to your newsletter. So what can you do to encourage someone that is already anti-abortion to speak up against this evil as well? Right. Yeah. I mean, I fully expected that response. Um, even people that I know personally, I expected them to be upset. I wasn't trying to upset people. And like I've said before, like I, I'm not saying that your child shouldn't be here or your child is less human because they were conceived via IVF, right? Like that is not what I'm saying. Um, I'm, I'm glad you have your child, but the practice of IVF is evil and, and people need to wake up to that. So I think, um, it's kind of like just taking, like once you get your mind around abortion and once you get brave enough to actually say in public abortion is wrong, this is just the next step, you know? Like it's it's not that much harder. It's a little bit more awkward because I think um, where when people have abortions, a lot of the time you wouldn't know, right? So your friends and family members, you might not know who's had an abortion, but with IVF, um, a lot of people tend to know because people are quite open about it. Right. Like I'm, I'm, oh, I did my, my IVF journey and, you know, I'm going in for egg retrieval and stuff like they're posting about it. So they're very, very open about it and they don't seem to have a clue that it's wrong um, at certain points. And then I think when they do find out, because you will, if you just stop and think <laughs> for a second, right? Like, oh, the doctor told me that we have eight embryos and, you know, four were, um, didn't pass the grading. Mm -hmm. So now we have four, like, it doesn't take a genius to realize that they've killed the other four, right? Or donated them or whatever. So it's it's a little more awkward because people don't think they're doing something wrong when they start off um, down the IVF road. Whereas, um, and I think things have changed a lot. Um, whereas when women go to get an abortion, most of them know it's wrong at this point. Most of them do. Um, and then they're battling, you know, they're battling with themselves or not about that. But IVF, they really think they're doing a good thing. And, um, you know, creating life is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's it can be very awkward. But I think just get educated and then speak truthfully. Don't be a jerk about it. Right. Like, <clears throat> like for me growing up, it was just so accepted within um, like church, even everybody, so many of my friends were conceived through IVF and it was no big deal. And I never thought anything of it. It was just like, oh, that's what you do when you can't conceive naturally. But then when I looked into it, I was like, wait a second. Um, so I think we're, we're right on that brink right now, you know, like where people are starting to realize people are questioning. I've had a lot of people 
um, messaged me saying, hey, we're, you know, we're Christians, we're considering IVF, but then now I saw that it might not be a good thing, but can you explain? So that's really encouraging. Yes. So yeah, sorry for that long spiel, but yeah, we need to be talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think you make a great point that, you know, it's hard enough to be pro-life or to, you know, take that leap of faith and start adopting the pro-life position, having to um, speak out against abortion. Like that's already such a difficult thing to do. And something that pro-lifers are presented with is, you know, that argument, you know, if there's a burning building, would you save the, you know, petri dish, petri dish of embryos or like the toddler that's in the building? Um, and so we already know, like we're already seeing this when it comes to the abortion pill, you know, it's so much easier to dehumanize embryos because they don't look as human. They're not as developed, you know, they're just seen as like, you know, single cell organisms. Um, and so it, it's already so difficult for the pro-life movement to humanize these children because they're so small, because they're so young. Um, and so with the issue of IVF, it's, I think it's so much more accepted because it's so much easier to dehumanize those embryos um, because they don't have the advantage of looking like a newborn baby. Um, they don't incite or inflict that same emotional response. So I do think that's really interesting. Um, but I'm wondering what you think the solution might be to save or protect these millions of innocent children in freezers right now. I'm sure you don't have you know, an overall plan of how we can do this, um, but I'm wondering what your insights are on this. Um, and also what your thoughts are on the ethicality of embryo adoption. That's often um, proposed a solution to mitigate the surplus of human embryos being stored in these freezers. So. What do you what do you think the solution is to to protect and save these children? Right. Well, I think the first thing that needs to happen is we need to get rid of IVF. It should be illegal. That's number one. Um, And then moving forward. Yeah, we've got so many human beings frozen in freezers. Um, And so it's interesting, the whole embryo adoption thing, because I know a lot of people who are doing it right now and who have done it. um, And it is a very, you know, it's like a miracle. It's really something. Um, I, the thing that causes me, and I don't, I don't have the answer, but this is where my brain is at right now. I really struggle with the idea of on the, on the one hand, doing the embryo adoption, because you have to pay so much money back into the IVF industry to do it at this point. There's no way around it. All these snowflake um, adoption agencies They're working hand in hand with the IVF clinics, so much so that even when um, people are uh, getting eggs taken out and embryos created in a dish, they are encouraged to create as many embryos as possible, not just so that, you know, they have um, a better chance themselves with, with more embryos to work with, but so that there will be many left over so that people who are struggling can then adopt your embryos. So this is still going in this in this big wheel. It's it's not like, um, it, okay, but but so then on the other hand, like these are individuals who are frozen in freezers, right? And so yeah, we need to be we need to be rescuing them. Um, so I am, I in my brain, what makes sense to me right now is we need to be working really hard to make IVF illegal. Once that happens, we need to get these babies adopted out of freezers. But that's not to say that people who adopt babies out of freezers now are wrong. I'm not saying that. I can't say that. I'm not the authority on this. But um, it's just, it's it's really, 
yucky. When you start looking through the snowflake adoption agencies, mm-hmm. um, embryo adoption agencies, and you see the language they're using and and how it's all tied together with the IVF clinics, I don't like it. So yeah, there's no perfect answer right now, but yeah. So there are countries like Germany that are are already restricting IVF. So you can only create three embryos at a time. None of them can be frozen or destroyed and all of them need to be implanted. And I believe that the sperm and egg need to come from the mother and father, but they still have a big problem with selective reduction. Do you think it's possible for IVF to be done ethically? No, Um, I I just don't. I, I think we've taken it too far, right? God created a very specific way that human beings are supposed to be created. And I, and I do think that we've, we've gone too far Um, just because we can, doesn't mean we should. Um, And like, I didn't know that about Germany, that they had made those restrictions, but that's really sad to hear about the selective reduction still being there because then that's, I mean, they, it's so often that you'll have more than one embryo growing Mm -hmm. and then they'll selectively reduce one murder one. Um, So that's still pretty awful. Yeah. Um, And something, I mean, it kind of brings it back to the previous point, this whole idea that, you know, we're becoming like God by, you know, taking over control when it comes to creating new human life in these like laboratories, these very like sterile environments. Um, And with the issue of selective production, it's becoming more like, you know, shopping for a baby, which was the whole purpose of of Build a Baby, trying to present it in a way that's sort of the commodification of children. Um, And we even saw that video recently that was out on social media of this gay couple who are who they're describing, you know, um, their ideal child, but all of these like physical characteristics, you know, I want my my baby to be a girl, I want her to have brown hair, I want her to be artistic. So like all these things that are um, almost superficial um, and being able to sort of create the perfect child, um, it's a disturbing thing. but it's so important that we expose the reality of IVF and talk about it in this context, that it is dehumanizing, that it is commodifying children and women's bodies. Um, and it's abusive to, to the creation of human life um, and negates the, you know, the sacredness of, of human, human creation. Um, so, you know, watching this video, this series, it was super eye-opening, super incredible. Even the previous episode as well, um, these animated videos are just, they're so impactful for, for conveying this message in a way that's, um, you know, it's receptive, it's creative, but it's also very truthful. Um, and it really tugs on your heartstrings as well, watching it, even though it's, you know, sort of satirical in a way. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, what is next for the Exposed series? Um, are you able to tell us anything about the episodes to come and perhaps some of the outcomes that you hope to see through this project? I know you mentioned, you know, raising more awareness, being more outspoken about this issue. Um, but, you know, what is next for Exposed? What are the impacts you're hoping to have? Yeah, well, we made the videos, yeah, just to reach as mo- as many people as possible and for people within the movement to be able to use them. So anyone is welcome to use our videos, you know, for the presentations or in any way that really can can further the cause uh, against abortion. Um, yeah, next, uh, I'm working on episode three right now. And I, I can't say what it is because it's so bad. Like I, um, yeah, and you'll know what I mean when you see it. Um, it's just absolutely insane. It's something that I didn't know about. I didn't 
no, starting this series, um, that it would be so intense, actually. Like, obviously, I did with abortion and the first episode being a true story. And then it got into IVF. And I really had my eyes opened um, about IVF. I didn't know. And then this next one, it just blows everything else out of the water that we've done so far. So it's um, super depressing. My whole team has just been actually like struggling <laughs> with working on it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm working hard to have that one done soon. And then, yeah, we'll see what you guys think. Well, I'm so excited to see all the next episodes of Exposed. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining us today to talk about your series, um, covering such important topics. So for the released episodes and future episodes, can you tell our viewers where they can tune in on their own time to watch them? Yeah, sure. So um, on our Choice for Two website, just choice42.com, which is choice42.com. Um, and then on all of our social medias. So they're on our YouTube page. They're, you know, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're, they're everywhere. And they haven't been removed yet, which is really, <laughs> which is really cool. Well, I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Laura. It was lovely to chat with her. Um, that was actually Kim and I's first time getting to connect with her mm-hmm. virtually, I guess, over Zoom. Um, and she's definitely someone that's really inspired a lot of yeah. young pro-life Canadians because of her ability to, you know, just sort of convey the pro-life position in a very honest and real way without mm-hmm. sugarcoating things. She's just very blunt saying abortion is murder. Please don't kill your child. And I just really yeah. love that about her. She's just one of my role models. So I'm just so grateful to have had the chance to chat with her about such yeah. an to- important topic. It was a real blessing. But yeah, so I hope you really enjoyed that interview um, and that discussion. And I think we need to have more of these discussions in future. Um, talking about IVF is super important because so many people are vulnerable to the IVF industry and the mm-hmm. birth control industry. Um, and just the medical industry as a whole. And so I think people need to be better informed about um, what options are available to them that don't result in the death or the harm of other human beings in the process. Um, There's a lot more ethical solutions to these issues. But I appreciate you all for tuning in today. So this was sort of our comeback episode um, where we talk about something a little bit controversial, but hopefully it'll be insightful. Um, and you'll get to to hear some different perspectives, especially having Laura on our podcast today. And thank you so much for tuning in. So we hope that we can um, start posting episodes on a weekly basis. It's kind of been neglected for a little bit of time, but we're hoping to come back. Um, And so if there is anything that you're interested in us discussing, you can definitely reach out to us at youth at campaignlifecoalition.com. Um, So send us an email or message us on one of our social media platforms, which is at CLC Youth Pro Life on all all platforms, including Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, um, or I guess X. Um, (laughs) So you can reach out to us on social media if you have an idea for something you'd like to hear us talk about on this podcast, um, or if you've heard of anything interesting that you want us to comment on. um, We're always willing to hear from people who tune into our podcast. So be sure to reach out to us um, and follow us on social media for updates. And we hope to see you next week. So thank you so much for tuning in. Bye guys. Bye.